Last week, uh, I preached a message called, You Are Built for This, and, and sometimes when buildings are shaky or buildings get condemned, you know, they, they take it down, and often the building's off, and they find out there's an issue in the foundation. And so, this is a time of year where I want to look at the foundation of my faith, the foundation of what I believe, the foundation of why I do what I do. And when you talk about foundation in the Bible, the foundation of our Christianity, you really got to take a look at Abraham. Uh, Abraham is referred to affectionately as the father of our faith. So I wanted to read a passage of scripture from Genesis chapter 15 that involves Abraham before he became Abraham, he was called Abram. And so I want to, if you have your Bibles, you can follow along in Genesis 15 verse 1. It says, after this, so something happened. You got to read the Bible for yourself. Genesis 14, when you get some time. Read it because what I'm about to read you was after something. After this, after that, the word of the Lord came to Abram in a vision. Do not be afraid. Do not be afraid. God wasn't telling Abraham that because he was um, trying to embarrass Abraham. Abram had something to be afraid of. So sometimes we tell you there's nothing to be afraid of. God didn't show up to Abram and say, Abram, you have nothing to be afraid of. What he said was, don't be afraid. So that means when there is something to be afraid of, don't do it. Are you following what I'm saying? When you you feel like you want to be afraid of how this is all going to work out, how this is all going to pan out, how finances are going to work, how my life is going to work, he doesn't say, you don't have anything to be afraid of. He says, no, don't be afraid. Just don't do it. There's plenty of things that can bring you fear in life, but don't do it. And then he tells Abram, I am your shield. You only need a shield when you're in a battle. Why wouldn't God say, hey, Abram, the fighting's over. We love preaching those messages, don't we? We love hearing those messages, don't we? You're not going to, the fight is over and you have the victory. And everybody goes, ah. What if God shows them and say, I'm your shield? You're still in the fight. But I'm just going to give you a shield. No, man. I'm, I grew up in San Bernardino. I want God to come together with the angels and jump them. In the hood, they jumped people. Will you jump the enemy? I don't want you to be my shield. Jump them. Beat up on them. But no, he says, I'm going to be your shield and your very great reward. Your very great reward. This is significant because Abram had just turned down a rather large gift from a king. And the reason Abram turned it down is he told the king, if I accept your riches, you can say you made me rich. So Abram turned it down. And then God tells Abram not, hey, I'm going to give you. God doesn't tell Abram, I'm going to give you what the king wanted to give you. God tells Abram, I will be your reward. Can you imagine if you turn down millions of dollars and you turn down all these gifts and then God shows up and says, no, 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 guess what your reward is? Me. Why do you, you don't need all that stuff. You got me. When Hannah wanted to have a baby, it's one of my favorite verses in the Bible. I believe it was Hannah. When she wanted to have a baby, uh, I think the, the uh, pops was like, or the husband was like, what are you, what are you crying for? You got me. <laughs> Men were stupid for a long time, man. That's the dumbest thing you'd ever say. What are you crying for? You got me. And so God shows up and tells Abram, you got me. You got everything you need. 
You know when we uh, did messages on the promised land, we talk about people moving to the promised land, and you're going to get your promise, your promise, the promise still stands, which it does. But do you know there was one group of people called the Levites that had this unique relationship with God, and they didn't get a piece of the promised land? God told them, I will be your inheritance. I will be your reward. Oasis is going to have some people who don't need the house, don't need the car, don't need the promotion. God is going to be their reward. God is going to be their reward. And when you um, have the reward, that's God. You don't need an award because you have a reward. Do you follow what I'm saying? You don't need the validation and the recognition. God tells Abram, I will be your very great reward. But Abram said, sovereign Lord, what can you give me since I remain childless? And the one who inherit, who will inherit my estate is Eliezer of Damascus. And Abram said, you, will give, you have given me no children, so a servant in my household will be my heir. And the word of the Lord came to him, this man will not be your heir, but a son who is your own flesh and blood will be your heir. And so he took him outside and said, look up at the stars indeed and count them if you can. Come on, you imagine God saying, I got so much for you. Go outside and look at the stars and count them if you can. Now, if you went outside in L.A., you might count two stars. But I'm talking about if God spoke to you at Lake Arrowhead and said, go outside. Don't do that tonight. I don't know where you live, but don't do that tonight. You're going to be discouraged. You're going to be discouraged. You won't be able to count very many. He says, indeed, if you can count them. And he says, then he said to him, so shall your offspring be. It's interesting how God told Abram that the real blessing is through the next generation. He talked about what he was going to give to people who came after him. And then he said, Abram, uh, then the Bible says, Abram believed the Lord, and he credited it to him as righteousness. God gave Abram good credit. Somebody shout amen. <laughs> he also said to them, I am the Lord who brought you out of Ur of the Chaldeans to give you this land to take possession of it. But Abram said, Sovereign Lord, how can I know that I will gain possession of it? So the Lord said to him, Bring me a heifer, a goat, and a ram, each three years old, along with a dove and a young pigeon. Abram brought all these things to him, cut them in two, and arranged the halves opposite each other. The birds, however, he did not cut in half. Then birds of prey came down on the carcasses, but Abram drove them away. I want you to catch this, that Abram is making these sacrifices for God, and then these birds of prey come, and Abram has to shoo the birds of prey away from his sacrifice. In this season, I know you are making sacrifices to God. You will have to shoo some things. You will have to shoo some things away from your sacrifice. The voices that are saying, why are you serving and giving? You barely have enough. You're going to have to shoo that away. You're going to sacrificing for God. You're going to have to get some things away, get some voices away from your sacrifice of praise. No, I'm going to keep praising God. It's going to be a sacrifice of praise, and nobody's going to tell me to stop because I believe that God is good. It's so powerful. And then it says that the sun was setting. Abram fell into a deep sleep, and a thick and dreadful darkness came over him. Then the Lord said to him, Know for certain that, 400 years, uh, that for 400 years your descendants will be strangers in a country not their own, and they will be enslaved and mistreated there. But I will punish the nation they serve as slaves, and afterwards they will come out with great possessions. Watch this part because this part made me mad. They will come out with great possessions. You, however will go to your ancestors in peace and be buried. What kind of promise is that? 
You sitting here making promises, me and God having an encounter? You imagine God showing up on this stage right now and cut my goats all up, <laughs> cut my stuff all up, and God saying, guess what, Julian? You be the leader God has called you to be, and I'm going to give them the money, and you get peace. Peace? Peace? A piece of the money? No, 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 God. Peace. <laughs> No, no, peace of the money? No, God's like, no, P-E-A-C-E. That kind of peace. I wonder if God wasn't trying to define what was really the most valuable blessing. Because you might feel absolutely broke, busted and disgusted, but you got peace. They got money, and you're like, God, where are you? They have money, but you have peace. You actually are rich. God, before he gets financial provision, is trying to make the church filthy rich with peace. This is what Christmas is all about. A son will be born, and he will be called the Prince of Peace. Prince come through with money and gifts and provision, but our peace, Prince, comes through with peace. Abram was really getting blessed when God said this to him. I would have been mad, but Abram didn't say anything. And the fourth generation, fourth generation? You mean I'm not going to get to see it? Fourth generation? What about the second generation? What about my cousin Tremaine and them? Like, they come over every weekend. Like, are you going to bless? Are you? What, what, DeAndre, man, like, I, like, am I going to be able to get this mixtape out with my cousin? De fourth generation, I'm going to be dead. I'm going to be dead. I wonder how much of what we do and what we believe for in this life would affect the fourth generation. You think if I sell a bunch of CDs and write a bunch of books and do a bunch of stuff, that stuff is awesome. But I want to do something that affects the fourth generation. Can you imagine if 300 years from now they're still talking about the glory nights and the offering. Can you imagine? And you got to be a part of that. Can you imagine being a hundred years old and, and maybe you're getting ready and you know you're getting ready to meet Jesus and you know you were involved with something that they're going to be talking about for the second, third, and fourth generation? Man, I want to do something like that. I want to do something like that. I can tell you what. All kind of people, design, uh, um, you know, try to deny that the Bible's real or deny Jesus, but this is what I know. It's 2,000 years later, and they're still talking about it. They're still talking about it. They might not always talk positive, but they're talking. They might not always talk with faith, but they're talking. Do you understand what I'm saying there? This is powerful. The fourth generation. And then it says, when, when the suns had set and darkness had fallen, a smoking, smoking fire pot with a blazing torch appeared and passed between the pieces that Abraham had set apart of the sacrifice. On that day, the Lord made a covenant with Abram and said, To your descendants I will give this land, from the Wadi of Egypt to the great river, the Euphrates, the land of the Kenites, the Kenizzites, the Cadmonites, the Hittites, the Termites, the Perizzites, the Raphaites. And the Amorites, the Canaanites, the Girgashites, and I beat Abram in this one. I was like, okay, okay, I got it. And the Jebusites. I want to preach a message called Count Your Blessings. 
count your blessings. In the Christmas season, we need to count our blessings. Um, In the year 2003, the most famous, the most popular rapper was a man named Curtis Jackson, known to you and I as 50 Cent. And 50 Cent came out with an album that sold over 10 million copies. And like us believers, 50 Cent on this album had some some questions. And he had so many questions, he came up with a song called 21 Questions. And these were some of the questions that he had. He said, if I fell off tomorrow, would you still love me? If I didn't smell so good, would you still hug me? You finishing the sentence? Come on. You need to listen to Hillsong Worship or Elevation or something. Like, Jesus, we love you. Oh, how we love you. Get that back in your head. Another question he had was, yeah, this is powerful. If I went back to a hoopty from a Benz, if you're dating in this room or you're married, come on, fellas, turn to your, turn to your girl and say, if I went back to a hoopty, they might be like, you still in a hoopty, brother, and I'm here, so... You still in a hoopty and I'm here. But 50 Cent wanted to know if I went back to a hoopty from a Benz, would you poof and disappear like some of my friends? This is a good one. I'm not a rapper, but I can tell this to my wife. She left because she didn't want to hear this. If I wasn't a pastor and I didn't preach because I flipped burgers at Burger King, would you be afraid to tell your friends that you're feeling me? 50 Cent had 21 questions, and this was the most massive album in 2003, and I believe it was so huge because the title of the album was so relatable to humanity. It was called Get Rich or Die Trying, and I feel like it was so massive because everybody in the world is trying to get something or die doing it. Everybody's trying to get rich or die trying, get famous or die trying get married or die trying, get validation or die trying, get affection or die trying, get the audition or die trying. Everybody's trying to die for something that they shouldn't be dying for. And the whole Old Testament, if you were to turn it into a rap album, the whole Old Testament would be called Get Righteous or Die Trying. The whole Old Testament would be called Get Righteous or Die Trying. Do everything exactly the way God wants you to do or die trying to do it. This is powerful because when you look at the story of Genesis 15, there is some interesting things that God does. He switches and begins a narrative and and begins a story that will create a solution that you and I would never have to get righteous or die trying, and it's one of the greatest blessings, it is the greatest blessing that you and I could ever have is what's birthed in this story of Genesis chapter 15. God begins to switch some things with Abram. He begins to almost correct his theology and then says through him all nations would be blessed. So he's saying if, if, if you correct how you view me, if we have this relationship through you, all nations will be blessed. So literally, God setting up this premise is that if you focus on you, through you, all nations will be blessed. So therefore, I don't have to worry what's going on in my nation 
or all nations, because if I carry and do what God's asking me to do, through me, all nations will be blessed. That's what he was telling Abram. And Abram would have known as he's interacting with God that, first of all, who am I that you're even talking to me? Sometimes we get so upset at what God says, we don't think to ourselves, this is the living God speaking to me right now, telling me something. Abram begins to hear from God, and God tells him in Genesis 15, verse 5, he took him outside and said, look up at the sky and count the stars, if indeed you can. You know, we have all these things we say as a church that aren't in the Bible. Um, count your blessings is one of them. Count your blessings. I haven't found it. If you can find it, let me know. Uh, our amazing pastor, Pastor Holly's getting her master's degree. Is count your blessings in the Bible? Nope, it's not in there. See, got a literally theological computer in the front row. Not in there. Another thing that's not in there is the Lord only helps people that help themselves. Not in there. The Lord helps somebody who is helpless. Right? Only God can judge me. Not in there. That's Tupac. It's Tupac. But there's something to this phrase, count your blessings. But what I think is that it's dangerous to count your blessings until you actually have a better perspective on what blessing is. Because if you count your blessings before your perspective changes, there are a lot of things you won't count. You will only count the things that give you pleasure. You will only count the things that you want. You will only count the fulfillment of all your hopes and dreams. Matter of fact, the Bible says God uses all things for good for those who are called according to his purpose. So if you are going to count your blessings as a believer, you should count all things. Because he uses them all for good. If you're, if you're like me, you're not good at that. You want a present on Christmas that you don't have to re-gift? Come on, anybody want to give away their pain in this season? Come on now. Love when people say, I, somebody they love gets, I wish I could take away your pain. Yeah, okay. We just complained about the pain. So you want to get a Christmas gift? And you're like, okay. All right, God is a good God. So let me see what I got to deal with in this season. Come on, PlayStation. Oh, oh, oh. Oh, no, not during the Christmas season. I got to deal with loneliness. I got to carry loneliness at Christmas. Oh, we got to get rid of this. And so what happens is we're feeling lonely, and, and we think that God, it's God's fault. So we start doing things to deal with the loneliness, but God sometimes will make you a, makes you a steward of pain. And he'll meet you there. And we're so busy trying to get rid of it that at 11.30 or 12 at night, we answer um, like a, it's, uh, they call it a, um, I don't want to say it that way. We answer a, a gluteus maximus call. Let's say it that way. Let's say it that way. It's church. I got to clean it up a little. We, we, we're, we're so lonely, we pick up those kind of calls because the loneliness is too much for us. And then we start talking about nobody's perfect in grace. But grace was not created so you could take that call. Grace was created so you don't have to. So you can walk with whatever season you're in and know God is there. Does that make sense? And if you persevere long enough, like I had to, 
In 2010, when I came to Oasis, I was as lonely as you could possibly be. And God was with me, and I found community in the middle of my loneliness. And if I'd have put it down or answered the call, I would have never found it. Never would have found it. But then what about us? Okay, I got a lot of friends. I'm not lonely. Let's see what we got going on here. All right, I'm going to open this up real quick. Merry Christmas to me, Gucci loafers. Here we come. Oh, oh. Oh, no Gucci. This isn't Gucci. This isn't Gucci. My Adidas has five stripes on them. This is not financial pressure. I'm broke. We love to think that if God was such an amazing God, we wouldn't be broke. Jesus was born in a manger. That's a trough where you feed mules and horses. He was born in a barn with animals everywhere, newborn baby. Do you know if I saw that situation right now, I would be mandated by the state to call Child Protective Services? (laughs) Mandated by the state. If I saw a child born in that condition, I would call Child Protective Services. But we think that God wouldn't allow anybody to go through anything. You ever been so broke, you wanted to call Child Protective Services on God? (laughs) Yeah, I've been that broke. Can you imagine that phone call? Hello? I want to report a child being abused. Okay, sir, calm down. How old is the child? 41? (laughs) He's 41. 41 months? Okay, we'll get to him right now. No, no, 41 years. It's me. I can't, I can't, I can't pay my bills. Well, what is he saying to you when you tell him? He just keeps telling me to have faith. (laughs) Can you imagine? And we do things to get rid of this financial pressure, and we don't realize, oh, I've slept on a futon, I've been broke, but in the middle of my brokenness, I found the provision of God. And then... I don't know if you got money, and you do have Gucci in this Christmas season, but this one is no joke. Okay, here we go. All right. Oh, no. Oh, no. This one is terrible. This one destroys so many lives because this is the one we want to hold on to. This is the one we want to hold on to. This is the one we don't want to let go of. This is the one we don't want to forgive. This is the most dangerous one out of the three because this is the one you don't ask God to take away. This is the one you want to hold on to. And if you got to be careful with this one because if you hold on to this one too long, too long, oh my goodness, you will never be able to do what God has called you to do. But in the middle of my hurt, whether it was my mom or whether it was my friends, in the middle of my hurt, I found healing. And if I didn't know the hurt, I wouldn't know the healing. If I didn't know the financial pressure, I wouldn't know the provision. If I didn't know loneliness, I wouldn't know community. Somebody needs to praise God because they're counting all things blessing. God can use all things for good. Somebody say all things. God can use all things for good for those who are called according to his purpose. Church, I, gotta, I just feel like God's calling me to teach you how to count this morning. Maybe not how to count, but what to count. I don't know what you're carrying in this season, but you can count it. I don't know who hurt you in this season, but you can count it. I don't know what's going on, but you can count it. You can count all things as a blessing because God uses all things. 
all things for those who are called according to his purpose. Now, you got to be careful because it's his purpose, not yours. you got to be careful because sometimes we don't finish that. And God uses all things. And you out here all willy-nilly doing your own. No, for those called according to his purpose. Not your purpose, his. Abram was being given some revolutionary things. And God gave Abram a tough word that the blessing would go to his descendants and not him and he would get peace. The Bible says that Abram believed the Lord and he credited it to him as righteousness. This is the first time believed God is in the Bible. And this is the first time righteousness was used, where God said that someone was walking in righteousness based off what they believed. It is literally the introduction to the greatest blessing that any human being could ever have. I want you to write this down because I don't know if you feel blessed in this season, but if you have put your faith in Jesus, you have the greatest blessing any human being could have. And let me tell you what it is. The greatest blessing humanity could have is how God views them. Write that down. Take a picture of it. The greatest blessing humanity could have is how God views them. It is the greatest blessing. And if you've put your faith in Jesus, God views you as righteous. It's the greatest blessing. It's the one that if you don't know, if you, if you have to stop counting after that one, you've counted the greatest one. And let me tell you, growing up around church people, what I have found the biggest issue is, is that most people are missing out on the second greatest blessing humanity could have. Because the second greatest blessing humanity could have is how we view them. They got the first one. They understand how God views them, but we forget to view them that way. We make people earn how we view them. And God doesn't make people do that. Do you know the Bible says that what you have freely received, freely give? So if you got God's view of you for free, then you need to give away your view of people for free. They don't have to earn it. They don't have to earn it. You make them live up to, you expect them to live up to how you view them, not how you want them to be. Do you understand the difference? I have found in leadership that nobody lives up to how I want them to be. They live up to how I view them to already be. Nobody changes when you wish they would change or want them to change or upset because they haven't changed. You speak someone, Jesus said, my words to you are spirit and life. So if you want someone to change, tell them who they are. You are a man of God. You are a woman of God. I believe in you. I think you're going to go all over the world and do that. And they're not even, do you understand what I'm saying? And they might actually live up to how you view them. This is a broken piece in the church. I want you to, 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 to write this down. This is so important. People don't change into what you want them. They typically change into how you view them. How do I view you? And then I don't need to worry about you changing because I'm content because I view you that way. 
My brother is a raging alcoholic. And you know what I struggle with? I struggle viewing him as sober. Getting that, because my, my eyes want to tell me it's never going to happen. But in my spirit, I can just view him as never drinking again. He is, he is, I don't need to wait for him to sign up for Alcoholics Anonymous. Right now, my eyes are closed and I'm viewing him as sober. Do you understand the difference? Do you understand the difference? I want you to write this down because this is important. This is something that I feel like the Holy Spirit challenged me with. And I want you to consider that you do this terrible. Because oftentimes when we hear things, we're like, yeah, we think of someone who didn't view us that way. Um, this, this point is, do you do this? I want you to ask the question, if people counted the friends or family in their life who view them better than their performance, would they count me? Would they count me? Would they count me? Can they count on me to view them beyond their performance? Can they count on me to do that? Or do I, I need them to perform and change so I can change my view? Abram didn't even have a chance to carry out anything. And God said, I've changed my view of you. Do you know how powerful that is in this Christmas season? If you don't have enough money to buy gifts for the people you want to buy gifts for, and you feel like they're missing out on love, maybe they don't need the gifts. Maybe they just need you. I, I, I don't know if there's going to be a time in my life where I can't afford to buy my family gifts, but I think what hurts children the most is not that they're missing out on gifts. They're missing out on you. They're missing out on your affirmation. They're missing out on your love when they need it most. And you know when they need it most is when they have failed you. I'm in a pretty good season right now. Honestly, I don't need the windows of heaven to open up and tell me that I am awesome. But you know what happened to me when I first put my faith in Jesus 10 years ago? I swear to God I would never do anything wrong again. The pornography, the weed, it was all done. And two days later, I binged on both of them. And then I went to some random conference. I hadn't even come to Oasis yet. And some man walked across the room, an older man walked across the room and said, and was bawling his eyeballs out and said, God wanted me to tell you something. And I'm like, oh, man, here we come. Judgment day is coming. This man knows what I've been doing the last three days. God told me to tell you he is delighted in you. And I was weeping in an old white man's chest. <laughs> I thought I'd get through my life without doing that. But it happened. And I was bawling my eyeballs out. Because I was trying to fathom how God could say he's delighted. Somebody needs to hear that from heaven right now in the middle of your failure because Psalm 37 says God is delighted in our way. Not in our perfection, not in our destination, but he's delighted in our journey. So God is saying if you're headed the right way, I'm still delighted. And we make a lot of mistakes while headed the right way. Do you see the difference? 
Abram's having this encounter with God. And if that wasn't crazy enough, God calling Abram righteous and he hadn't done anything, God says to him, I am the Lord. In Genesis 15, verse 7, he says, I am the Lord who brought you out of Ur of the Chaldeans to give you this land to take possession of it. But Abram said, Sovereign Lord, how can I know that I will gain possession of it? So the Lord said to him, Bring me a heifer, a goat, and a ram, each three years old, along with a dove and a young pigeon. Abram brought all these things to him, cut them in two pieces, and arranged the halves opposite each other. The birds, however, he did not cut in half. Then birds of prey came on the carcasses, but Abram drove them away. As the sun was setting, Abram fell into a deep sleep, and a thick and dreadful darkness came over him. Some Bible scholars say that this thick, dreadful darkness description is a, is a picture and a prophecy of the dreadful darkness that came over the land at 3 p.m. when Christ passed. That we're getting a picture, a prophecy of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And it says, then the Lord said for him, know for certain that for 400 years your descendants will be strangers in a country not their own. This is how we know it's a picture of the gospel because in the Old Testament, Egypt represents sin, living enslaved for 400 years. And it says, um, they'll be strangers in a country not their own and they will be enslaved and mistreated there, but I will punish the nation they serve as slaves and afterward they will come out with great possessions. You, however, will go to your ancestors in peace and be buried a good old age in the fourth generation your descendants will come back here for the sin of the Amorites has not yet reached its full measure. I want to give you a picture of what actually happened. God made a covenant with Abraham, which is a contract. And those contracts were, were sealed when Abram would sacrifice the animal. You notice what it said before. Abram sacrificed the animal, put the opposites halves, they put them the halves opposite of each other. And it says that a flaming torch passed through the halves. Abram went to sleep and then a flaming torch passed through the halves. This is significant because what was supposed to happen, what Abram was trying to do is he sacrificed the animals. He, he put the pieces apart from each other and Abram was supposed to pass through the pieces. Because it represented if I don't do my half of this deal which means I need to do everything God asked me to do. If I don't do this half of the deal, may I end up like these animals who had to die. It was a death sentence for disobeying God. But right when it was Abram's moment to pass through the pieces, he fell asleep and woke up to what nearly every Bible scholars agree that it was God's presence that passed through the pieces. I want you to see this in Jeremiah 34, verse 18 and 20, where God gets upset at sin and actually speaks to this covenant, this violation of the covenant. It says, those who have violated my covenant and have not fulfilled the terms of the covenant they made before me, I will treat like the calf they cut in two and then walk through its pieces. So this is what was supposed to happen. The animal dies, you walk through the pieces, promising God, like I promised God about the weed and the pornography, God, you can cut yourself off from me if I don't do what you asked me to do. God, I am worthy of death if I don't do what you asked me to do. But the Bible says Abram woke up from a deep sleep.
God had passed through the pieces. And hundreds of years later, we would come to the recognition, thousands of years later actually, that humanity had once again not fulfilled their portion of the covenant and the agreement. We didn't do what God wanted us to do. But because way back thousands of years ago in Genesis 15, when the presence of God passed through the pieces, somebody did have to die, but it wasn't you and it wasn't me. It was Jesus. Jesus died because God that day passed through the pieces. I don't know what you're going through. Maybe you've come in here broken, but I can tell you right now, the Spirit of God is passing through your pieces. Spirit of the Lord is passing through your pieces. Nobody has to die for this one. Jesus already did. Right now, if you are coming here and you're feeling broken in a certain area, I don't know if it's finances, I don't know if it's loneliness, but I don't know what it is, but somebody in here has some pieces the Holy Spirit has to pass through right now. I'm not talking about Passover. That's Easter. God, the, 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 the angel of death passed over so you don't have to die. I'm not talking about a Passover. I'm talking about a pass-through. God, I got some pieces I need you to pass through and heal. I got some pieces I need you to pass through and give me hope. I got some pieces I need God to pass through right now. I don't know what to do. I want you to stand to your feet. If you got some pieces, you need the Holy Spirit to pass through right now. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. This is the greatest blessing you need to count. I have pieces that God will pass through. I'm broken, but he'll pass through. The Bible says when the Holy Spirit fell, there was a mighty rushing wind that passed through the room. Holy Spirit didn't pass over that day. He passed through. I want you to lift your hands to the heavens. And I want you to declare that Jesus is worthy because his Holy Spirit is passing through our pieces right now. 